Hello and welcome to Dedicated Packers, the podcast where we do care about the Green Bay Packers. And we don't care about anything else. Let's go! Alright, hello and welcome back to Dedicated Packers. It is Wednesday, October 18th, and we are back talking about Green Bay Packers football. I'm not talking about what the offense can do to fix themselves. I'm not talking about how Jordan Loves looked. I'm not talking about how money Anders Carlson has been through five games. We're not looking back. We're looking ahead because we have, let me do the quick math in my head. What week is it now? Week seven? It's week seven, week 18. We have 12 more weeks of Green Bay Packers football uninterrupted. Green Bay Packers football, aside from the six days in the week. And we're going to spend the next 12 weeks talking about game after game after game. And I can't wait to do that because that's what we wait all offseason to do. And that's what I'm back doing today. So we're going to jump right in. We're going to talk about the injury report. And then we're going to talk about this Packers Broncos game. Looking at the injury report for Wednesday today, On the Packers side of things, Zane Anderson was limited with a hamstring. Devondre Campbell did not participate with an ankle. Elton Jenkins limited with a knee. Aaron Jones limited with a hamstring. Darnell Savage limited with a calf. Eric Stokes limited with a foot. Quay Walker limited with a knee. And Devontae Wyatt limited with a knee. On the Broncos side of things, Baron Browning, full participant with a knee slash wrist. Lloyd Cushenberry, full participant with a quad. Greg Dolchich did not participate with a hamstring. Kareem Jackson limited with a neck. DJ Jones, full participant with a knee. And then Justin Simmons limited with a hip. And on the Packers side of things, from an injury standpoint, the best news you can have, all of these guys are have been removed from the Packers injury report. They're no longer considered injured. They were all full participants. And... They seem pretty much good to go now. So Carrington Valentine, Zach Tom, Jair Alexander, Christian Watson, and John Runyon Jr. All off the injury report along with Rashawn Gary who was already removed last week. Awesome. Awesome news for those guys. Again, full participants should be full go for Sunday. On the limited side of things, you had Aaron Jones. He's back. He's practicing after missing Monday's game. Of course, that's great news. He did practice every day last week too and then was held out of that Raiders game. Hamstrings are always tricky. He talked today, said, you know, his hamstring feels the best it's felt since he injured it. So that's good. We'll see where he's at on Friday when the injury designations come out. My guess is that he's going to be questionable. And then we'll see where he's at on Sunday before the game. But this is kind of where we're at now with Aaron Jones. Hopefully he can come back. The hamstring's not going to bother him, but we'll just have to wait and see. Eric Stokes, also limited with his foot. Maybe we can get him back this week. It seems like he's doing well. He was questionable last week going into Vegas. So, or not last week, the week before last going into Vegas. I guess he's going to be questionable again going into Denver. Hopefully we can see Eric Stokes back. Look, I know he didn't have the best showing for the half of 2022 that he played, but his rookie season was really, really, really exciting. He was basically the Packers' number one corner with Jair out for most of that season. So I can't wait to watch Eric Stokes get back on the field, and I'm pretty high on what I think he could bring to this defense, Um, though it will be a challenge to get him on the field because Jair is an all-pro level corner, and then Rasul, 
He's playing pretty freaking well right now. I'd argue he's playing better than Jair right now, though, to be fair. Jair isn't getting thrown at much because he's Jair. Another limited participant, Quay Walker, back practicing. Awesome, awesome news. He was injured versus Vegas. Matt, after he talked in that Vegas game or after that Vegas game, he said he wasn't really sure about whether or not Quay would be available for this game, said he was hopeful, but things were still up in the air. Awesome to see him out there today. It's a good sign for his Sunday availability, and we know how important he is to the defense. So now both Quay and Savage, the two guys who were hurt versus Vegas, they're back. They're practicing. Awesome news there. The one guy not practicing on the Packers roster, Devondre Campbell, he was working with the rehab group, which is at the very least a positive sign. Matt did say in his presser that Devondre would be doubtful come Sunday against Denver. So looks like he won't be coming coming back this week, but the hope is maybe that he can come back next week. That's what I have from an injury standpoint. All in all, pretty, pretty good news when there's really only one guy not practicing on your roster, you're in a good spot now. It'd be nicer if it were someone more down towards the 50-man side of things, not Devondre Campbell, but still, one guy not practicing, you'll absolutely take that. Other news, the Packers signed running back James Robinson, and this is an interesting signing because Patrick Taylor, he was not brought back after his release, so he was brought up to the 53 for Monday night against the Raiders because he was out of elevations from the practice squad, so signed to the 53, Justin Hollins was released. Immediately following the game on Tuesday, Patrick Taylor was released, Justin Hollins was brought back. Patrick Taylor has not been re-signed, and likely instead, the Packers signed James Robinson who had an electric rookie season for Jacksonville in 2020, rushed for over 1,000 yards. I believe he set the record for the most yards by an undrafted uh, free agent in a season or an undrafted rookie. I'm not sure, but I believe that's true. And all in all, he was an awesome runner in his rookie year, showed an incredible amount of power, incredible, incredible amount of speed. He was a really fun back to watch. Then... At the end of 2021, he suffered a torn Achilles, and he struggled a little bit in that year anyway. That was the Urban Meyer season in Jacksonville, so didn't definitely didn't go great for the Jags, but he suffered that torn Achilles, and then in 2022, he never really looked the same for the Jags. They traded him to the Jets after Brees Hall suffered a torn ACL for them, and then he was with the Giants this preseason. Just hasn't looked like the same running back since that Achilles. However, Green Bay clearly liked what they saw. They worked him out. They brought him in. And obviously, he's not going to get significant snaps. He's not going to get snaps over AJ Dillon, not going to get snaps over Aaron Jones for now. Probably won't be getting snaps over Emmanuel Wilson because he probably doesn't know that, that offense too well right now. But there is definitely a level of intrigue that comes with this James Robinson signing. And I'll tell you what, I've seen a lot weirder things happen than James Robinson maybe coming back, maybe looking good again. So a fun signing there. Packers also signed cornerback Anthony Johnson, not Anthony Johnson Jr., cornerback Anthony Johnson. And yeah, I mean, not much to say there. That's a practice squad body. And then the last thing, the last sort of bit of news to discuss, the West Coast aspect of this game. Packers teams under Matt LaFleur have sucked, sucked on the West Coast. They've been blown out by San Francisco there multiple times. In San Francisco, obviously, blown out by the Chargers in 2019 in LA. And Denver's not quite that West, but it's West relative to Green Bay. 
So let's hope Green Bay gets off the plane for this game. Let's hope they come out with an attitude because we've seen them get off flat many, many times in going into West Coast games. I haven't even mentioned the Denver altitude, which is going to be tough. It's always tough there. Denver's a very tough place to play. And I mean, no excuses. You have to play there. Other teams manage to play there. But it's just something I wanted to mention, something you kind of have to look at and players have to be prepared for. And then the last bit of news, I know I said the West Coast game was the last thing I wanted to discuss. Last, last, last bit of news. The Packers have announced their throwback dates or per Big B on Twitter. Shout out Big B, training camp videos legend. The Packers will be wearing their 50s throwback jerseys in week 11 against the Chargers. Those are the strictly green and yellow jerseys with, you know, green on the outside and then yellow numbers. A lot of fun. That's going to be a very interesting matchup. You're going to get the the white and blue of the Chargers matched up with the green and yellow of the Packers. That's probably going to be pretty aesthetically pleasing on the field. So that's what I have for you from a news standpoint. With that, we'll move on to the game. And when you look at this game and you look at this Broncos team, you see a pretty awful team. Now their offense, it's not awful. It's not awful, awful, but it's certainly not excellent. Russell Wilson, he has clearly declined with age. He's nowhere near the same quarterback now that he used to be. And Sean Payton, who who succeeded so, so well with Drew Brees at quarterback, is trying to maybe run the same thing with Russell Wilson, and it's not working because Russell Wilson is not that deadly accurate quarterback. He's that run around do a bunch of weird magic and then huck a 50-yard deep ball on you kind of quarterback. It's not working too well. The Broncos running game, it's certainly not anything special. They did seem to find something in rookie running back Jaleel McLaughlin in week five versus the Jets, but it's nothing to write home about. And then their skill position players, they're generally pretty meh. Their best receivers are Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, and Marvin Mims. All three of those guys are good. They're serviceable NFL players, but none of them particularly scare the opposing defense right now. The closest to scaring an opposing defense is Jerry Judy, but he hasn't been great this year. And then Marvin Mims, rookie out of Oklahoma. I did discuss him in my pre-draft wide receivers breakdown. He's explosive. They've hit a couple of deep shots to him. So let's maybe hope he doesn't terrorize us. But in general, nothing too terrifying on that offense. Looking at the defense, it's bad bad. Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins. Now granted, they're the best offense in the league at this point by a pretty wide margin. They dropped 70 on the Broncos defense. I get it. They're the best offense. But 70 points, that's the second highest point total ever put up by an offense in the NFL. That's the, they had the chance, the Dolphins did, to go for the highest point total ever if they just kicked a field goal instead of kneeing out the game. I mean, those are Madden level numbers. Those are the type of numbers I put up when I'm playing Madden and I have Tyree Kill. And for some reason, the computer presses Tyree Kill every play. That's how you put up 70 points. It's ridiculous that the Dolphins put up that number. And that kind of tells you where this Broncos defense is at. The Denver Broncos, yes, they have a decent secondary. All pro level players in Patrick Sertan, Justin Simmons, a decent second cornerback in Kareem Jackson. But beyond that, there's nothing on that defense. The linebackers are bad. Miami exposed that to a massive degree, just hitting, you know, zone window shots right over the heads of the Broncos backers. Denver did have Bradley Chubb 
and Draymond Jones last year on the defensive line. They traded Chubb away, uh, who was a pro bowler off the edge, and then they lost Draymond Jones in free agency. So, yeah, at this point, the Broncos are pretty clearly one of the worst teams that Green Bay is going to face. Now, the Raiders were also one of the worst teams that Green Bay is going to face, and the Packers put up 13 on the Vegas Raiders. If the Packers lose to the Broncos, coming off of a bye, we are going to launch into criticism that is in another stratosphere. And it will probably be deserved. If you think, if you thought things were bad after that Raiders loss, you're going to want to see this. Because there is no legitimate reason for this Packers offense to struggle again, other than their players just sucking. And believe me, I really don't think any of the starters on the Packers straight up suck. So. Please, please, Packers, win this game. And more than just winning this game, have offensive success. We're going to need some offensive success. And that brings me to my first point, what I want to talk about in this game, my offensive keys. And my first key to this game, it's Aaron Jones. Now, yeah, I am kind of assuming that Aaron Jones is going to be back for this week. That's no guarantee. We've seen that hamstrings are tricky, but if I had to guess right now, I'd say he's going to be back. He said his hamstring's feeling great. His, yeah, he did play against the Lions. He was practicing all week going up against the, uh, or going leading into the, the Raiders game, and he practiced today. So I guess Aaron Jones is going to be back. And if he isn't, I still think you have to attack the Broncos this way with Emmanuel Wilson, but hopefully Aaron Jones is back. And the first thing I want to say is, in general, get Aaron Jones the football. Get it to him. Passes, tosses, jet sweeps, screens, all of it. But most importantly, I want Green Bay to start attacking the edge of this Broncos defense with wide zone runs. Why? Well, first of all, that I think is going to be a, a massive part of establishing an identity, which we've talked about. I think that if the Packers can find something going in the run game, they're going to start getting in rhythm. And Matt talked a huge amount um, in his presser today about how, you know, they looked at what's gone wrong with the offense and how a big thing that had gone wrong was them not being able to get into a rhythm and them not getting into advantageous downs and distances. You start getting the wide zone run game going, guess what? Now you're in more of those advantageous downs and distances. You're in second and four. You're in second and five. You're able to get into a rhythm that way. So attack the edges with Aaron Jones because Aaron Jones, A, he's really good around the edge and B, the Broncos aren't so good on the edge. They're not a great team, and they are an awful, awful run the fence. They they have allowed the most opponent yards per carry of any defense, 5.6 yards per carry. They've allowed the most opponent rushing yards per game at 172.3. This is an area that Green Bay can attack, and dear God, do I hope that they can have success there considering how atrocious Denver is in that area. Granted, the stats are a little bit inflated because of what Miami did to them, and how much Green Bay needs to get an offense going on the ground. So Aaron Jones, he's going to be a massive part of that part of the offense working, the ability to get on the edge, and with Aaron Jones' ability to turn those what should be three-yard runs into seven-yard runs, I think the Packers can have a lot of success there. Now, once you get those wide zone runs going, this is where I think the big part of this key comes in. And that is the bootleg play action. And I've talked a lot about play action. Bootleg play action is a very specific type of play action where on a wide zone run, 
the quarterback generally takes a wide angle outside because you can imagine he's trying to get a handoff so the running back can run sort of a stretch around the edge. On a bootleg play action, the quarterback fakes that wide zone handoff and then comes all the way around running back. So if the handoff were faked to the left side of the field, running all the way across to the right side of the field, you're getting him out of the pocket, you're getting him on the move, and you're creating plays from there. And the Packers have been awesome on those bootleg plays. The Packers' two most explosive plays versus the Raiders, they came off of boot play action. He Jordan had that awesome 70-yard bomb, 77-yard bomb to Christian Watson off of bootleg play action where a safety came down, crashed on a crosser, left Christian Watson gaping open, took it down the field for 77 yards. That's what's going to happen there. There was another play where he ran boot play action to the left. Nobody was open downfield. Jordan took it himself, ran upfield for like 25 yards. And then there was the play where he stiff-armed Max Crosby into the ground. It has worked really, really, really well for Green Bay this year. And against Denver, I think everything set up well for Jordan and Aaron Jones to go in, attack Denver's edges, get into those advantageous downs and distances where Peter Bukowski pointed out the Packers have been 24th in early down EPA per play, but 13th in overall. EPA per play, meaning they've been pretty bad in those first and tens. If they can get in there, get into those advantageous situations, you're not getting into those early downs where you're in second and nine or first and ten. You're able to get in there, you're able to start having success getting into those advantageous downs and distances. Guess what? You run some bootleg play actions, you get Jordan on the move where he's been really good, you start dialing up some passing explosives, and all of a sudden, you get a semblance of a mildly competent offense. So that's my first key. Aaron Jones on the edge, bootleg, dial things up that way. My second key to success, the red zone. Again, Denver's defense has been awful. It's the worst scoring defense in the league. They've given up over 33 points per game. Again, to be fair, that's inflated by the 70 burger that Miami put up on them. But While Miami put up a 70-burger, the Chiefs last week only put up 19 points. And you're probably thinking, that's pretty interesting, right? Because two offenses that are both very good had very different levels of success. Now, Miami had 10 scores in that game, and that's ridiculous. Beyond ridiculous. But the key thing about that Miami game where they dropped 70, they were all touchdowns. The Chiefs, they had five scores, which is half of what Miami had, but five scores is not a bad total for an NFL offense. That's, they only had 19 points on five scores. That's four field goals and one touchdown. If the Chiefs had converted, not even every single score, but just two of their field goals into touchdowns. So instead of four field goals and one touchdown, you have two field goals and three touchdowns. That's a pretty respectable 27 points. They convert all five of those scores into touchdowns. That's 35 points. My point, Green Bay's going to need to be successful in the red zone. And what's awesome is that Green Bay's offense has been awesome in the red zone this season. They're sixth best in the NFL by red zone touchdown percentage. Denver, they haven't necessarily been awful in the red zone, 19th in red in red zone touchdown percentage, but they have given up touchdowns on almost 40% of opponents' drives. That's absurd. That means if Green Bay has 10 offensive drives, they should score four touchdowns. And since Denver's giving up any points on a drive over 50% of the time, Green Bay should be putting up, you know, 30 points of offense or so with 10 drives. The key, however, 
is that this offense can't let us down now because I just talked you up. I just said, hey, this is how good Green Bay has been in the red zone. This is how bad Denver's defense is. They need to continue with what's been working in the red zone. And I'll tell you exactly what hasn't seemed to work. Handoffs to A.J. Dillon from the gun without a potential read option baked in. That hasn't worked. Sprint out right or sprint out left where you're essentially cutting off half the field for Jordan and just running him out to one side hasn't worked. What has worked? RPOs. I talked about it last episode. Jordan, with his legs, has brought a lot of success to the RPO game because Green Bay now has a quarterback that can actually pull the ball down and run with it. And that presents a third threat to the defense because now the edge defender who Jordan's reading can't just crash on the handoff and then you're like, hey, Aaron, try to get around me. Spoiler alert, you can't. You're 38 years old. Now the edge defender actually has to figure out whether he's playing Jordan or playing the handoff because if he doesn't, well, either one of them could burn you. So the Packers need to continue to emphasize the RPO game and Jordan's legs in the red zone. He has two rushing touchdowns in the last three weeks for a reason. Additionally, if, you know, we're talking about things that work in the red zone, we're going to get back to my point up at the top, emphasize Aaron Jones. He's a really damn good runner in every single sense of the word. It's time to see Aaron Jones be given the ball a bunch in that red zone. It's going to lead to red zone success because I think if you ask me what's the what's the thing that you love the most about Aaron Jones, he's really good at just getting yards. Yards? You need yards? Aaron Jones will get you yards. And that is why I think emphasizing Aaron Jones, using RPOs, that's going to lead to red zone success, continued red zone success, and that's going to be a big key in this game for the Packers offense. On the defensive side of things, the first key I have, contain Russell Wilson. The Packers playing in the NFC don't face a lot of dynamic quarterbacks. Yeah, they play Justin Fields. They play Jalen Hurts. Beyond that, nobody's really too dangerous with their legs in the NFC. Russell Wilson, he's certainly less dangerous now than he used to be, but he can still make plays with his legs. In fact, almost all of Wilson's massive plays come from him just kind of running in circles around, evading a defender, and then hucking a 50-yard moon ball, and oh, somehow this secondary let the guy get wide open because guess what they had to cover him for 20 seconds and now it's a 50 yard chunk play so green bay you guys gotta contain russell wilson because that's not only going to take away his legs as any element of the game but it's really going to tend to limit explosive plays how do they do that it comes down to pass rush discipline pass rushers have to keep contain they have to stay in their pass rush lanes and preston smith in general as a savvy veteran he's pretty good at that Rashawn Gary, he's a guy that you might expect to be good at that. For example, you know, Lucas Van Ness, Enag Bari, you don't expect those guys to be too good at that. They're young, they're developing, whatever. Rashawn Gary, you expect him to be good, be disciplined, but sometimes he gets out of himself. There was that play against Desmond Ritter in Atlanta where Desmond Ritter, I want to say he took it in for a touchdown, and Rasul was livid at Rashawn Gary because it was Rashawn Gary's job not to go try to be the hero, make a massive play. He did let Desmond Ritter get outside of him, and Desmond Ritter took it in for a touchdown. Rashawn, he needs to stay disciplined. He needs to not let Wilson get outside of him. He needs to keep, contain, and if Preston and Rashawn can stay disciplined, and then, you know, maybe we see a little bit of Lucas Van Ness and Kingsley and Akbari making plays, staying disciplined, that's going to be massive because it's going to 
keep, hopefully, Russ inside the pocket. It's going to limit his creativity, and ideally, you can make them pretty one-dimensional. And that gets me to my second big point, and that is that this Packers defense needs to stop the run. And this is probably going to continue to be a key for this Packers defense until they start looking better against the run. But for now, they have to stop the run because Denver sucked last week against KC on offense, but the run offense wasn't awful. And against the Jets, they seem to really have found something in Jaleel McLaughlin. He looked explosive, dynamic, with nothing really working for Denver on offense in general. I'd expect them to start running it a lot because guess what? They know what they're going up against in that Packers defense. And if there's one thing that's going to want me, that's going to make me want to rip my heart out when I'm looking back on this game, it's that it's if we, if we end up losing because Denver pounded the ball into Green Bay's throat, Green Bay couldn't stop it. And the Packers lost 19 to 10 after having four offensive possessions. I will legitimately rip my heart out and throw it. So you got to stop the run. How? Well, I've given up on Joe Barry stacking his boxes, really changing his approach in that aspect at all. So guys up front, you have to play better. I want to see a lot of Preston, Kenny, Slayton, and Van Ness fronts on early downs on run specific downs. Because Van Ness, this is really the key guy in this. As Jason Rebrovich, the Packers outside linebackers coach, talked said about Van Ness, he's been ridiculously stout against the run. If we get nothing else from Van Ness in his career, doesn't develop at all, his run contributions right now already make him a very viable edge defender on early downs. Now, the key for Van Ness, the way he's going to make his money, the way the Packers are going to get a significant return on investment from Van Ness, is he's going to have to get better as a passer. He's going to have to channel the aggressiveness that you see in his run defense to that pass rush. But for now, Let's see more of him versus the run. And then alongside Van Ness, let's see the Packers use their best run defenders. It's going to take Kenny playing well, Slayton playing well, Preston playing playing well. It's going to take all of those guys winning for the Packers to stop the Broncos run. But guess what? It shouldn't be too hard for those guys to play well because the Broncos don't have the best offensive line in the league. They don't have close to the best line in the league. So I expect those guys to be able to have success. I expect them to be able to stop the run. The Broncos offense shouldn't have too much success. The Broncos defense shouldn't have too much too much success. The Packers should be winning this football game. And that's what I have for you there. That brings me to my players to watch. And my first player to watch, it's Christian Watson. And I know I talked in the offensive keys a lot about Aaron Jones, how much he kickstarts this offense, and that's all true. It's extremely true. In fact, Aaron Jones is probably the biggest playmaker on this offense. But the second biggest... It's Christian Watson, and I saw, and arguably the the biggest, Christian Watson's a stud, but I saw so, so, so much slander on Christian Watson over the bye week for no apparent reason. People are saying he can't run routes, he can't make contested catches, he's slow. Look, Christian Watson had one bad route versus Marcus Peters on that Jordan Love interception. That's, I'm fine admitting that, he did. He got, he was slow at the top of his drop, chopped his feet too much. Marcus Peters made a savvy veteran play, batted up in the air, interception. That's on Christian Watson. On, uh, on this third Jordan Love interception, he got pushed off a little bit, but he didn't fight well. He definitely should have gone back, broken up that pass. Play big, right? You're 6'4", 200 plus pounds, and you got kind of mossed by a 5'7 corner. But the, this take that he's not able to run routes or make contested catches, that's ridiculous. This is a guy that, yeah, 
doesn't have the most nuanced routes routes in the world. Anyone watching him play can tell you that. But he is ridiculously good at winning early and winning often because simply of his ridiculous athletic traits. He's so, so good at winning on almost all routes and creating separation that way. In terms of contested catches, we've seen him make contested catches. He's really good. When the ball's in his frame, he's really good at holding on to the ball through contact. And we've even seen him go outside of his frame. We saw him moss a Titans defender in the end zone last year, saw him make a one-handed catch down the sideline versus the Lions while being interfered with. Now, he's not Calvin Johnson. He's not a guy where you're saying, yeah, just throw him the ball because he's going to win every time. But there's a freaking reasons that this offense took a leap took off the way it did last year when he became the focal point. Just like Aaron Jones becoming a focal point, we need Christian Watson to become a focal point. He needs to start getting the ball more. I want seven targets, eight targets, nine targets. Get him the freaking football because guess what? Last week, three catches. He went for 91 yards on those three catches. This this dude is the bomb.com. And if this offense is going to get in rhythm, Christian Watson needs to get the football. And I just talked about how I defended his contested catches. I defended his route running. That's not even the most exciting part of the game. The most exciting part of Christian Watson's game is that when you get him the football, there is a pretty decent chance that he takes off for an explosive play. And there's always a chance that he can turn it into a touchdown. He is the guy. He's the ultimate playmaker. Christian Watson slander will not be tolerated, especially when we're a game and a half into the season. That's ridiculous. Christian Watson's my player to watch. He's going to come out and dominate. And I've even buried the lead here. Christian Watson's going to be lining up against Pat Sertan, an all-pro level corner, one of the best corners in the NFL. There's so much to watch in this game, but Watson versus Sertan, it's going to give us a couple nice matchups. And when I go through on the film, I'm going to be looking specifically at when Watson lined up versus Sertan. And I'm going to say, oh, look at this. Watson created separation versus an all-pro cornerback. Guess what? He's a good freaking wide receiver. Let's see Matt get him the football. And then my second player to watch, it's Rudy Ford. And I, just like I just talked about Christian Watson, I want to talk about Rudy Ford a little bit because he was signed last year after the final roster cut downs from the Jags before 2022. And everyone was like, look at this guy. He's a dynamic gunner. And yeah, he's been, he's been good on special teams. But the dude has been not a great, not an all-pro level, but a pretty freaking solid starting safety for the Green Bay Packers through a year and a half at this point. He's good enough versus the pass with his speed, though it's not that hard to be good with the pass versus the pass with Joe Barry's soft too high shell. But the bigger thing with Rudy Ford is he's a demon from a tackling standpoint. Now, yeah, he misses sometimes, but he flies around. Whether he hits, whether he misses, he's flying to the ball. I like I like to think of him from a tackling standpoint the way I think about Rasul's my ball mindset. Whenever a ball's in the air, Rasul's hunting it down. Rasul's always looking for that pick six. The ball's in the air, Rasul's thinking, that's my ball, I'm making this catch. Like he's a wide receiver. Rudy Ford, he thinks, that's my ball carrier. Like a lion stalking his prey, Rudy Ford gets to the ball carrier and he gets there in a hurry and he I love the way he plays Green Bay needs more Rudy Fords the guys that come to mind that play like Rudy Ford Quay Walker Rashawn Gary the guy seeking contact other than that I'm not sure who else seeks contact the way Rudy Ford does I think he's going to have a great day on Sunday he's going to be a big part of their run defense like he was on Monday night against Josh Jacobs 
He's been playing really freaking well. Rudy Ford deserves some goddamn flowers. Shout out, Rudy Ford. I love you. That's what I have for you. A lot, a lot to discuss. I think we touched on pretty much most of it. Look, this Packers team, this 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 entire season is going to be an up and a down and an up and a down, one after the other. And I can guarantee you I'm going to come on and I'm going to talk after one of the games in the future about how awesome this team looked. And I'm going to come on and I'm going to talk about one of these weeks in the future, how literally everything went wrong. That's kind of where we're at. And and most of the games in between, I'm going to talk about the awesome things that we saw and the negative things that we saw. And there's going to be a lot of both. And that's where we're at. It's a roller coaster, but it's a fun roller coaster. There's a reason people go on roller coasters, right? They're kind of fun. And the positives, there's so many positives. And I can't wait to see some of those positives versus Denver. I hope they win. They better win, right? But in general, go back, watch some... On Sunday, sit on the couch, watch some Packers football, and think, this is what I get to do for the next 12 weeks, and that should make you happy. And that's what I have for you. That's what I'm going to leave you with. As always, thank you so, so, so much for listening to the Get Packers. I will be back on Sunday recapping the good, the bad, the ugly, the ugliest, the most pretty parts of everything. Until then, root for Rudy Ford, root for Christian Watson, root for the Green Bay Packers. Let's see them come out on top, but... Until then, go Pack, go.